Hello, and welcome once again to the TLDR podcast, a show about the culture, gossip, and business of money. And this week, who would win in a fight between an Uber and a freight train? And why $7.99 dog raincoats are taking over Canada. My name is Devin Friedman. I am here with my co-hosts, Matt Karaz, the director of product for Well Simple, our sponsor. Matt, I haven't talked to you all week. I feel like we've barely slacked. How are you? I'm good. We got to get back to the gossip. Well, I hope you're working on very important things instead of slacking me. Kyla, of course, Kyla Scanlon, the professor of macroeconomics at the University of TikTok. Hello, Kyla. Hello, Devin. And Sarah Rieger. Hey. Coming to us, as always, from Calgary. What have you got cooking in the newsletter this week? Ooh, we have some interesting info about how you might actually be able to retire, which is very encouraging to read because I think that's a terrifying thing. All right, let's get to the actual show here. We will start off like we do every week with a question that gets at the most interesting stories going on right now, and that is, who is making and losing money this week? Kyla, can we start with you? Yes. So Caterpillar is making money. They're the maker of the beautiful yellow bulldozer that you might see on the side of the road. They just had their best year in their entire 98-year history. And Caterpillar is also known as CAT, which is their stock ticker. First of all, I didn't know that they were 100 years old, basically. Yeah. Second of all, okay, Caterpillar makes big industrial machines, mostly. Why was this year the best year ever? Is it because everyone wants to buy bulldozers Mm -hmm. or is it because like they're doing something differently as a company? Yeah. So they're the largest manufacturer of construction and mining equipment. So bulldozers, excavators, whatever, but they also do like drilling equipment, gas turbines, different power things that you might need for a data center. Basically anybody who needs a gigantic truck or a big engine would go to CAT. And so the reason that they had such a big year in North America selling things was due to U.S. government infrastructure money going towards manufacturing and also a lot of demand for power generating engines to keep data centers humming, like for AI stuff. So Caterpillar has been benefiting not only from government spend, but also from this industry shift towards AI. Okay, my next question is, why do you like Caterpillar so much? Is it like, you think it's like a great company financially? Mm -hmm. Or is it like, I use planting a flag and saying I identify with my blue collar roots. <laughs> and does it have anything to do with your acknowledged fascination with cranes? Yeah, so it mostly has to do with the crane thing. And the reason that I like cranes and the reason that I like Caterpillar is because Caterpillar and cranes are sort of economic bellwethers, right? Like if you look outside your window and you see a bunch of cranes, you know that economic activity is happening there. And it's the same thing with Caterpillar. So if people are buying a bunch of gigantic bulldozers and buying all this construction equipment, that's a pretty good sign for the economy. That means that people are investing, that things are growing, et cetera. And so that's why CAT is cool to me, is that it's this economic sign for if things are going well or going poorly. Sarah, Matt, Do you guys have any opinions on Caterpillar as a business or a bellwether? One thing I've always found really interesting about Caterpillar is they're kind of like Disney and they're one of those companies that like really aggressively protects their brand. I know a couple of years ago they went after a company just for using the word cat in their name. I think it was like a coffee company. Um, And they also have that exact shade of bright yellow 
trademarked. So, <laughs> you know, no other heavy equipment companies can use it. Well, and what's interesting is Urban Outfitters has a cat line. They were selling cat shirts, like not meow cats, but like these big Tonka shirts. Like it's sort of um, fashionable to be into Caterpillar and these utilitarian companies. As somebody who's only worked in software or computers for my whole life, um, including when I was doing God's work at a hedge fund, I've always found Caterpillar to be the dream. It's like you're actually building stuff. And if you like look at their investor relations earnings report, like page seven is just like big pictures of the machines they built. <laughs> and so it's like always had this like special place in my mind of like they make real stuff. Yeah. Tractor beam. Suck me right in. All right, Sarah Rieger. Yes. Who is making and losing money this week that's interesting to you? So if you've been seeing all of these headlines about layoffs recently, you know, those people will certainly be making less money. But there's also a whole lot of people whose jobs are probably safe. So I kind of wanted to do a little, I don't know, fact check slash reassurance. Okay, so you're talking about there been in the headlines, there have been a ton of layoffs announced, particularly, I think, in the tech and finance industries, if I'm not mistaken. But so your point is, yeah, those are real, but there's a different story out there that's bigger. Yeah. So I feel like we're constantly just seeing these headlines that are, you know, a thousand workers at X or Y company laid off. And it's true that layoffs have been ticking up. Like most workers who aren't working right now were laid off. And that share of laid off workers among all unemployed workers has been growing. And unemployment has also had a big jump. It's second biggest outside of a recession since the early 80s. Like the only other increase in unemployment this big outside of a recession was back when the tech bubble burst. So it, so far, that sounds terrible. Yeah. The <laughs> unemployment rate jumped. Layoffs are a real thing. It's not just something that you hear about in the news. So tell me why I shouldn't be freaking out. So I, I think the reason not to freak out about these numbers, which it's true, they suck and they're scary, but is the context. So the overall unemployment rate is really low. It's just at 5.8% right now. And that's pretty close to the lowest it's been historically over the last decade. Just for comparison, like in 2020, the unemployment rate shot up to 15%. And if you also look at the types of layoffs that have been happening, they are mostly concentrated in industries that are really volatile that can see these like big swings in terms of how much funding they're getting, like in tech and media. And those jobs only make up a really small fraction of the labor force, like just a few percent. And if you look at like really big industry employers like healthcare or education, their unemployment rate is way lower, like one to three percent. But those don't make as many headlines. So if you take out the layoff story, the news headlines and all that stuff, and I were just to ask you, hey, what's the employment picture like right now? What would the answer be? I'd say it's actually really good. Like unemployment is pretty historically low and wages have been going up for the most part. So outside of those headlines, it's not so scary. I mean, I think there are more people now than last year who don't have a job but want one. But if you actually like look at um, how many people there are today that don't have a job and want that one compared to any time in recorded history, it's like about as low as it ever was. Good luck with your layoffs, all right? I hope your firings go really well. Okay. 
Thanks a lot. Great. All right, Macaraz, it is your turn. Who is making and losing money this week that's interesting to you? Well, I think we got to talk about the rebirth of Uber because they're making a lot of money. Last week, the company reported record high bookings on the app, record revenues, and its first ever annual profit from its core business. And this is, you know, really interesting to me because it's just such a massive turnaround from where the company was. I mean, I just keep remembering the headlines about how Uber might be dead back in 2019. And I think hardly anyone would have imagined this outcome today. Okay, so a couple of years ago, obituaries were being written. For those of us who don't really remember, how bad was it for Uber? The short answer is really bad. Um, The company was in this furious race to the bottom fight with Lyft, where they were basically giving away rides for free in order to try to win the market. They were burning enormous amounts of money. And so nobody thought they could ever be profitable. And then the pandemic hit and that basically killed their core business. And so, you know, only a year or two after the stock IPO'd, it was down 50% and people were thinking that this company was, was lost. Is it that the world has changed and things are better for businesses like Uber or is it that Uber changed or both? I think it's mostly an Uber story, which is pretty interesting. So look, some of the biggest pressures on Uber back in, you know, 2020 have clearly gone away. The rideshare business is back. So that has been a big support. On the other hand, the rise in interest rates has made Uber's former business model unworkable. Like you can't just borrow a lot of money from investors and price your product at a loss to try to gain market share. I think the big thing that's been helpful for Uber has been that their CEO saw this coming and changed their business model much faster than basically any other tech company out there. You know, they were really one of the first companies to shrink their workforces. They stopped engaging in this price war with Lyft and just let supply and demand drive their prices. Matthew, what do you think about, you know, the relationship that Uber has to its drivers, like this gig economy sort of thing? Do you think that's a sustainable part of their business model? So I was actually really interested in this question and dug into it a a little bit. You know, in the early years, they were pretty ruthless. But more recently, one of the main focuses of the company has been actually making the experience for drivers better. And their CEO has actually notably spent a fair amount of time like driving around as, you know, as a driver to understand what it's like. In addition, um, you know, the company actually reports that about 50% of their booking revenue goes to their drivers. When the time when prices have been going up has meant that actual driver pay has been going up as well. I don't actually think that this is out of the goodness of their heart. You know, I think that it's just the reality that in a market where you need to make sure you have as much supply as you have demand, what we've all seen is there's an enormous amount of demand for Ubers. And the thing you keep hearing from the company over and over again is that it's just really hard to get more and more drivers out there. Well, I think, I don't know if it might be different in Canada or not, but basically we've had such an increase in gate workforce because of increased immigration. Like jobs like driving for Uber are really low barrier to entry. And I think that's one of the reasons like they, in a lot of regions, have been able to get away with the low pay. You know, I've spoken to Uber drivers who have realized that they are actually losing money sometimes because, you know, once you factor in insurance and wear on your vehicle and time in between trips, it's significantly less than minimum wage. So Uber has pulled itself out of a, no pun intended, tailspin. Who would be the most fun to see pull it off next? I mean, WeWork. Like, if Adam Newman actually came in, bought WeWork again, and managed to turn it around, 
Well, you know, I'm sure Elizabeth Holmes and Sam Bankman-Fried are now sending each other handwritten letters forming their next company. So keep an eye out. Okay, so now's the point in the show where we do the whiteboard. I am sure that everyone knows what the whiteboard segment is, but in case you don't, this is the part of the show where Kyla Scanlon comes on and teaches us something essential about the world of money. And this week, we're going to talk about this weekend's Super Bowl, kind of. It's about an advertiser in the Super Bowl, a company that, if you were watching the U.S. broadcast anyway, advertised six times, most likely spending more than $30 million USD. Only this wasn't a company that advertises beer or insurance. It's a company that sells stuff like $7 dog raincoats and promises that you can be a billionaire. Do I have that right, Kyla? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to tell you about the company that promises that you can at least shop like a billionaire. So there's this company called Timu, and they're celebrating their one-year anniversary in Canada. And if you spend one minute scrolling the internet over the past year, you've probably seen one of their ads popping up on the side of your screen, trying to sell you different things like a dog raincoat. And it oftentimes seems way too good to be true. And what the ads are highlighting is really bizarre. Like it's not only a dog raincoat, but it's a hammock for cats. It's a watermelon slicer that looks like a medieval torture device. And so it's all of these really weird products that have people hooked. I, I will say that um, I've seen Timu ads. I never knew how to say Timu. I thought Timu. it might be Tem, Temu. Timu. Tama. Timu. But I've always been like, is this a real company? Like it has the quality of like AI-generated weirdness that I don't want to click on because something terrible is going to happen? Yeah, everybody feels a little bit weird about Temu, Timu. I'm just going to call it Timu. So imagine sort of the Frankenstein of Amazon and Alibaba with all of these different offerings of everything from socks to car tires to forks. So this super cheap stuff that actually comes from independent sellers that are selling on the Timu platform. And Timu is a, sort of similar to like a mass marketplace like Shein that have captured the hearts and the neurotransmitters of shoppers that are going to these sites. Let me interrupt you because Please. I have two questions. Yes. I want to talk about the neurotransmitter part because that's fascinating to me because like I downloaded the app and instantly it asked me to like spin a roulette wheel. Yeah, and I was like, am I playing a game? Am mm -hmm. I, what? I don't know what's happening. But the main question I have is like, how much of this is just like a weird internet phenomenon that we're all obsessed with because like we're inundated with ads or, or, and how much of it's like these companies are actually incredibly successful? Well, yes. So Timu does kind of have that gambleify gambling type effect and this sort of marketplace style product has done really well for them. Like people really like it. Over 7 million Canadians have downloaded the Timu app and it's the number one free app in Canada as of this week. And their total sales hit over $1 billion globally in June, 2023. And so this model that Timu has is doing very, very well. All right. But Kyla, outside of the economic question, in a, in a cultural way, you are a denizen of TikTok. <laughs> what is it about the subculture of Shein, Timu? Why does it work so well in, on social media? Well, I think there's a couple of things, but one of the main ones is their ad spend. So they're just like hacking people's brains because every time you tune into something, you're going to see an ad for Timu. So 
This isn't the first year that they advertised on the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think last year they took an ad out and it cost something like $14 million. Yeah. And the ad was so successful that it resulted in a 45% surge in downloads and a 20% increase in daily active users on the night of the ad's launch. It's quite successful. And they get a lot of free advertising from the dopamine-filled theatrics of social media. So Temu unboxings and Shein hauls are an endless source of content on TikTok where thousands upon thousands of viewers will actually turn into the live streams of someone trying on pounds and pounds of cheap clothing. And their ad spend is a lumbar support to companies like Meta. And Timu actually paid about $1.2 billion for Meta advertising alone in 2023, which is basically half of Timu's profits and 9% of Meta's total ad revenue. And these big ads have made it more expensive for everybody else. So the CEO of Etsy was like, listen, Timu and Shein are spending so much on ads that it's making it hard for us to buy ads. So if you're scrolling on facebook.com, you're going to see an ad for Timu. And that's kind kind of why people are like using Timu is they just see it everywhere. But outside of like the ad spend, I feel like there's some part of it that has to be about a the stuff you can buy on there is so weird that it's there's a sense of discovery. Like I feel like if I were to watch someone on TikTok, I would want to actually see all the weird stuff that they bought at Timu, whereas like most other stores, I'm not they might be nicer things, but there would be no sense of discovery when you watch someone unbox stuff. Because I'm also like, half the time on Timo, I'm confused about what you're actually selling. I'm like, is that a couch for $8? Or is it like a pillow? Is it a baby couch? Is it a dollhouse couch? I have no idea. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it's a few things, right? So the most popular demographic is the demographic that most often uses Facebook. Um, So Gen X and Boomers. And according to the market research firm Yipit, about half of Timu shoppers in the U.S. make less than 40K a year. So it's kind of people who are actually like looking for a real deal, like they need things that are cheap. And then there's another demographic that potentially is just looking for the thrill of the hunt. Everybody wants some sort of win, even if it's just a unicorn horn for your cat, right? Like it's a way to get a product and you don't really know if it's going to be good or not, but at least it was cheap. What do you mean even if it's a unicorn hat for your cat? Especially if I mean, it's a unicorn that's hat. Especially. Exactly. <laughs> My bad. I, I think like Timu or Temu is just like the latest of these companies that we've seen really be able to profit off of keeping costs super low. But the thing I'm curious to see is if these companies are going to be held to account soon now that Canada's new forced labor legislation is coming into effect. You know, there were investigations showing that a lot of Temu's products came from Xinjiang, which is the province in China that has the most issues with forced labor. So if our legislation is responsibly holding them to account, you know, maybe we won't be able to access stuff this cheaply anymore. Well, they do have a lot of issues with the legality of it, right? Like worker law violation, labor law violations, um, IP violations. And there was a Wired article being like, hey, <laughs> Timo is just copying Amazon storefronts and like undercutting the price of these Amazon products. And so it's kind of like Timo will just go up against anybody and do it in the most like bloodthirsty way possible. And that is is working so far for them. I mean, I think that it just mostly seems like a continuation of the trend we've seen over the last like 30, 40 years or even longer of you know, people changing 
the way that they're selling, finding creative ways to undercut the existing ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you saw this with the big box retailers that disrupted, you know, the small town uh, independent retailers. Then you saw the big online retailers trying to undercut them. And, you know, now we're, um, you know, we're seeing another wave of that. Kyle, I have one other question about how these companies operate. So the analog is definitely Amazon. It's like Amazon on crack. <laughs> but how Amazon's like a logistics company. Does Temu deliver your stuff or are they just like a sales operation? Yeah, they, they deliver it, but they're not doing that two-day stuff like Amazon does. <laughs> it takes like one to three weeks. And I think a lot of people sort of enjoy the wait. There's um, a dopamine hit when you get an Amazon package or a Timu package delivered to your door and then you unwrap it and you're like, oh yeah, this cat raincoat doesn't look anything like it did on the website. But I have a package. I have a little gift for myself, right? I get no dopamine hit when I see a Amazon package. But a lot of people do. A lot of people I'm like, do. oh, it's a folder that my kid needs or like dog food. Yeah, but I, I would say like that's anecdote, not data, right? For sure. Obviously, a lot of people really like Timo. Seven million people were like, yeah, buddy, sign me up for this experience. Yeah, I mean, I think let's end on a really terrible note, <laughs> which is this is all contributing to the garbageification of the world, you know, all this stuff that's completely disposable. I don't know. I think you guys are wrong. The next little $10 treat piece of garbage I buy online is definitely going to improve my happiness and enable me to change the world. I feel confident if enough dopamine hits pile up. That's a wrap for today. What did we learn on today's show? We learned that Caterpillar is powering the future of artificial intelligence. Layoffs are a sign of economic normalization. Uber has completed a financial U-turn. Timu shows us the real cost of convenience and what the costs of cheap items actually are. That's so good. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks for being here. If you like the show, please don't forget to rate us. It really helps. This show is sponsored by Wealth Simple. It is made by me, Devin Friedman, Kat Angus, Matt Caraz, Sarah Rieger, Kyla Scanlon, with Matilde Urfolino, Annette Heist, Jared Sullivan, Tom Johnson, and Greg Tharp. Fact-checking by Brennan Doherty. Theme music by Andy Huckvale. And engineering by Veronica Rodriguez. See you next week. The TLDR podcast is offered by Wealthsimple Media Incorporated and is for informational purposes only. The content in the TLDR podcast is not investment advice, a recommendation to buy or sell assets or securities, and does not represent the views of Wealthsimple Financial Corporation or any of its other subsidiaries or affiliates. Wealthsimple Media Incorporated does not endorse any third-party views referenced in this content. More information at wealthsimple.com slash TLDR.